I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Guys, welcome back to Aqua Sex and City. I know it's been a long two weeks without me. Our next guest is someone that I love so much. We work together at Trader Joe's. Please welcome Stevie Edwards. And he has a great podcast coming up. The soft release, probably summer. Queer Literature Review, uh, no website yet, but if you have any questions or requests, email at queerlitreview at gmail.com. In this episode, we talk about coming out, um, being from the South. Uh, we talk about gender euphoria, which I'd never heard before, but love that phrase. You guys, I really hope you enjoy. I had a great time. I learned learned a lot. Um, mind blown in a few places. And guys, enjoy. Thank you for coming back. We need to be kinder to each other. We need to be able to validate each other because Lord knows no one else fucking will. Yeah. And I was like, oh, why? She was like, I can see your nipples. And I was like, oh, cool. And I was like 11. Like I had no. I did actually have some really good sex. But that was after, <laughs> but that was after I started tea, which also makes you significantly hornier. So the, make, the stakes are high. Um <laughs> So yeah, so we know each other, Stevie, from work. We are at Trader, Joe, Trader Joe's. That we do. That we do. And you've been there a long time, right? Like, uh, Oh, gosh. At least a year and a half. It feels like two years. Okay. But Your dream job is to work within like LGBT in a college. Yeah, yeah. So um, it is my goal, my aspiration in life to eventually work at, well, continue to work at a LGBTQ college resource center or student center of some kind. Mm-hmm. I was a graduate assistant at NYU's LGBTQ student center, which was really great. Oh yeah. That, I mean, being in grad school wasn't really great, but like <laughs> doing that work was really great. Yeah. It's a pretty old center in terms of like campus centers and doing 
activism around LGBTQ identities while in the village, while in Manhattan, looking out to the arch on Washington Square where Sylvia Rivera led a protest before. Mm -hmm. No. So that was something really special to do work in coming from Georgia to then do work in the heart of New York City and to kind of have that perspective. Absolutely. And like, so do you have a preference in college? Like, would you rather it be like in like a major city like New York or maybe like San Francisco or, or L.A.? Or would you want to go back more towards um, the Midwest or the South? Like, is there a preference? Is that something you think about? Or you're just like any college will will do? I definitely think about it. And I think if you would have asked me a year ago, I would have had like this very nice like a Google search parameters that I have <laughs> plugged into my higheredjobs.com like job agent. But now I'm like, well, I'd love a job that pays me and has dental. Like that'd be super great. Right. Um, <laughs> cool. cool. <laughs> Healthcare. Cool. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, you're paying me how much? Whew. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. A Carter, get in. Let's go. Um, <laughs> no, so now it, it's pretty common for entry-level student affairs folks to kind of go to where the job is and mm -hmm. then bounce around. Like you'll be in a position for two years and then go to another position somewhere else a little bit higher up. So all this to say, I'm open to going pretty much anywhere although i would love it if i didn't have to go to la or california i'd, I'd love to go to somewhere that's okay. less expensive than where i'm at now yeah that's very fair i don't want to go up in my cost of living yeah no that's yeah i agree it's a, another reason why i'm like i don't want to go to la you're too much and you're too bright like i need mm -hmm. i need like anger i need like darkness and a lot of my things <laughs> but so so you came from georgia uh, and then you came to nyu were you like, this is amazing? Were you like homesick? Or were you like, like, how is it, how is it to be LGBT in like the deep South in like Marietta? Uh, oh man. Um, so for any other Georgia folks who are listening, I grew up in Gwinnett County in Duluth, which is very much suburbia. Um, it is, there's a lot to unpack, I think, around the Southern LGBTQ experience. And I think a lot of it exists also along lines of class and race. So mm. growing up as an upper middle class white person mm -hmm. in the South who is LGBT looks very different from someone who's from a different socioeconomic class or is a person of color. Right. 100%, so I definitely yeah. want to acknowledge that. Um, but I think the thing that I was most excited about when coming up here is like scrolling through uh, scruff or grinder or whatever the hell. And being like, oh, my God, I know none of these people because oh. everyone. Oh, God, I went to school at the University of Georgia. I wasn't really out when I was at Duluth um, and I certainly wasn't on those apps. I was. Were those apps around back then? I don't know if they were because because Scruff came before Tinder, right? Like, I feel like. Or did. Wait, which one? Which of the er hookup apps came first? Tinder or Grinder? I think it was. Was it Grinder? I think it was Grinder. I think they were first. Yeah. You guys lead the way. Mm. No, you really do. When it comes Hell to technology, yeah. you guys like let me figure out how to <laughs> profit off of this immediately, and I respect that. Mm -hmm. Well, everyone just um, if anyone who's ever been in a small community, like everyone knows each other or has slept with each other or dated each other, mm -hmm. and there's friend groups on top of a townie versus college student kind of thing. Um, so there was not necessarily a lot of variety in the dating scene. So then I come up yeah. here and there's so many people and I like it. And 
there's a weird disposability about people up here in New York City. People treat each other as disposable. We legit were just talking about that on the earlier podcast about mm. like Tinder and like how we treat ourselves with like the swiping culture in a, in a yeah. major city. Like, like it's I could a suck thing. someone's dick and then literally never see them again. Just mm-hmm. like block them and be like, well, you don't exist anymore as a human. Yeah. It's wild. I had someone um, I saw someone for a little bit and then we didn't see each other. And I was talking to someone at work and they were like, oh, are you going to acknowledge her if she comes into the store? I'm like, what the fuck? Yes, I'm going. To- you weirdo. Yes, I am going to acknowledge her. I'm going to probably say hi. How are you? And have a conversation because she's a human worthy of my respect and like attention. Yeah. God, people well, are so weird. I will say, though, because I went through a really bad uh, ghosting phase where like I would ghost people because I just mm-hmm. I kind of needed like that emotional like uh presence in my life and I was young mm. and dumb and naive um and my worst fear is that I like I can 100% say I don't remember any of their faces so mm. my worst fear is that I do meet them and I don't remember and to me that is like the worst thing that you could do as a ghoster and I feel like I have I feel like I have met one of these people and like just forgotten like and just didn't know I can I can't even name any of their names. That's how like disposable they were to me, <laughs> which is fucking awful. And I admit that. But I'm also still OK that I did it. Like I'm like, it mm-hmm. got me to an- another place. I'm not sure how you feel about it. You know, not everyone who comes into your life is going to stay. So I think this like flexibility and Lord knows I can't remember everyone who we work with what their names are because we don't wear our shirts like when we're four hours before morning Uh so they don't have their name tags and I'm like fuck it's been too long I should know your name by now I wear my name tag on purpose at work because I know I'm quiet and I know there's like half of that group does not know who I really am so like and they keep calling you the other name like of someone else who worked there (laughs) (laughs) like all Dorit keeps doing it all the time one of the managers kept calling me Amanda for months and I'd be like Dorit it's Natalie and she's like she's German she's like oh I'm so sorry and that's not a German accent but uh, (laughs) she'll like forget she'll still forget I'm just like Dorit. <laughs> no, but like Stacey will be like, hi, baby. And then like, look, and then, then say my name. And I'm like, I'm okay I with that. that. Yeah, yeah. You're trying. Like I gave you that option. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like what you were saying, like it's, it's so hard. Like now, mm-hmm. now everyone's going to stay in your life. Yeah. And it, I find at least my experience, it's coming from fucking mostly like cis men. Cause they're the most easily accessible mm-hmm. through scruff and grinder and stuff like that. So, it's just so interesting interacting with cis men in this and then hearing about how just what the norm is for treating each other in terms of like being mean or mm-hmm. being neglectful. I'm not talking about just like not just not remembering like, yeah, that, you know, that's that that feels neutral to me when it's not purposeful in a way. Yeah. Like sometimes you will. Sometimes some people won't. That's what I love about sex. Yeah, but, um, the same. I don't know. It just feels very different being up here in New York City versus knowing that you have to live with the folks that you're around down yeah. in Athens. Yeah. So there's there's a difference. And so you didn't you didn't feel comfortable enough to come out when before college, you were saying. Oh yeah, no. no. Oh nah. Were your parents cool when you were like, hey, this is like what's up? Eh, I mean, it was a long process. Now we're in a pretty good place. Um, it really, what I think the big kicker was that kind of got them up to where they are now, which my mom uses my name. And even when she emails me, because we're a very professional family, so we will email each other. Um, <laughs> uh, but my grandfather died and that really put things into perspective for mm-hmm. them of like, huh. 
So thanks for taking one for the team, Grandpa. Yeah. Thanks, Granddad. Um, we're dying. Right. It was your time. Um, but it was funny. When I came out as trans, my mom was like, oh, God, can't you, like, just be lesbian? And it's like, sudden, suddenly queer's not as big a deal anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Man, if I would have known that before. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. And that's what's uh, like as someone that does not know enough about trans or the the whole like mental process of it to, to hear something like that. Like, can't you just be lesbian? It's like, but that's like not what it is. You know, that's oh, not, yeah, not at all. And I can't even imagine having to have to explain that to someone, let alone like your mother. Well, Something that I think is interesting and something that I don't really see represented a lot in media. Mm -hmm. um, and I see this because in working with college students, I am constantly bombarded with like, oh, I remember being there. Oh, yeah, I remember being there mm -hmm. like and seeing this. And there's a lot of support and conversation around if your parents are shitty to you, absolutely do what you need to do to support yourself, to be yourself, all of this. But there's not a lot of conversation about gray areas in familial relationships and what would it what does it look like when your relationship continues after this because i feel yeah. like there's a narrative of you come out and either they automatically accept you or they automatically disavow you certainly in the south where i know people who have been kicked out yeah. and financially cut off and fired from their job which is still legal in georgia register to vote um damn but now we're in a really good place. I re I love my mom and dad, and I know they love me. And that was a common factor through this whole process. Mm -hmm. But I was really nervous talking to my friends about my familiar relationship because they were really bad about trans stuff for a really long time. Yeah. And so I don't know. These things are messy and complicated, and I wish I, wish I could... I want my students to know that their what their first reaction isn't their last reaction. That's a really good point. And that and that there's a place they can be just so they doesn't feel like, well, I great, I've lost my parent at like 19 or 20. Mm -hmm. When that doesn't have to be the case. But then there's there's this whole other narrative of like, oh, you know, as long as they apologize, it's fine, or just be super forgiving. And it's like, well, that's not people should be able to feel and be in their place. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I think what I'm saying is, yeah. No, I feel mm -hmm. like you're saying it all because these are kind of like the questions I was going to ask too because the gray area is what in a way is kind of the scariest because mm -hmm. the black or white, the, the total acceptance or no acceptance, there is this definitive answer. Yeah. I mean, I think definitely as much as I hate saying this and hearing it and my parents have shared this with me of like, we had to grieve losing a daughter, which is absolute bullshit. I'm still me. Like, yeah. very much so. That makes me very angry. <sighs> yeah. And just, but being able to get to a place where I was okay with them saying that because now we've gotten past that place. Mm -hmm. Because fucked up as it is, that was part of their process for, um, that was part of their journey in processing this. And yeah, that's fucked up. And it's still fucked up. And we still have a good relationship now. So what does it mean in this culture of you do one bad thing and suddenly you're canceled, right? Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Family's complicated, <laughs> you know? Well, this isn't nearly the same either, but, like, I, the past couple of years, have realized, like, oh, I'm bisexual, and so I still haven't told my parents. Like, they mm. don't know. My family doesn't know, and I think they'd be fine with it. Uh, I think there would be a, um, there, there would be, like, a, a, 
uh, it can be there, but like, I don't respect it type of vibe. Like, mm-hmm. uh, cause also my dad is from like Danville, Virginia. Like there is a Woof. lot of Southern Baptists in my mm-hmm. family. I have had family, uh, you know, I don't talk to a lot of them anymore cause they're not okay with just like the show. Uh, and that I openly talk about sex because, you know, like I have family members that <gasps> went to, oh my. right? Like <laughs> a lot of that. And I'm like, I'm good. And I haven't given anyone a chance because I've been like, well, you don't not my family. Like my family's uh, like my parents, like they don't know this, but uh, I'm talking more like like my cousins and my aunts mm-hmm. and uncles that are not OK with it. I'm just I have not given them a chance to uh, explain themselves or like their side because i've been like not nah, you completely you don't have to yeah and you don't mm-hmm. have to but you have a really good point about like but you stuck with it and that the first reaction wasn't the last mm-hmm. and you've now hit another point of like of a relationship where you're happy and you feel mm-hmm. safe with them and understood and so is it selfish for someone like me to not even give them a chance because my pride and my ego was hurt that they weren't willing to see this thing that i do as valid in a way. But, um, and I think that's like, if anyone doesn't want to like, you know, engage in their family, I think that's fine too. But I think your story and your personal perspective has like a really interesting point of sticking with it and like getting through Mm. the bullshit to the other side, because that is how, uh, people also like get educated and understand more. And Mm. we can stop with the, the fake news about LGBT and like sexual health and, and trans and all this stuff and same bathrooms and, and all that shit, you know, like that's how doing that work, which isn't fair to put on the person that's already being stigmatized. It does help get to the next level though. I think it's important that people know that there could be another place where the relationship could be like Mm -hmm. I if if I would have told my 18 year old self yeah things suck now but eventually your dad will actually use he every now and then he still fucks it up like (laughs) but like it's again just how far we've come and at the time when I was much more (laughs) energetic and just I was all over the place I was in a place in development and very much um my first activism and learning about social justice. Uh And I never thought that I would be in a place where I'm like, I can work with this. This is something that I can hold the nuance of where we stand and still be in this place. Cause my family is very important to me. And Oh, by the way, have you gotten your fruit basket and ID card Fruit basket for for being by? Oh, I was like, is this something at Trader Joe's? No, I have not gotten my fruit basket. Oh no, no, no. This isn't from the Joe's. Although like, they should send us fruit baskets, in my own personal opinion. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't got one yet. It's new. I haven't really talked like a lot. It'll get there when it gets there. I, I, I want to know why I don't want to talk about it with my family yet. Because mm-hmm. um, like I do, I have a boyfriend, been with him for four years. Definitely had moments where I think I knew before him and he's fully accepting of it. And uh, so great about uh, when I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, love you, but I think I'm bye. Um <laughs> been so great about it but uh there has meaning to love you bye (laughs) there has been like a um am i a fraud like am i because that's new i'm older i'm you know i'm i'm 30 i'm in my 30s i realized this in my late 20s uh an experiment in college besides like drunk kissing girls which uh i just thought was fun like in a different way than uh actually like sexual Mm -hmm. um 
so there's that to it of like, what does it mean to realize it when you're late, like later in life, you know, which is of course like, you know, sexuality is fluid, gender is fluid. Everything's like a construct as well. Like all these words that people are like, this is bullshit, but it's not, it's real. Like there's like science backing it up. Like there's all this stuff. Um, I don't know where I was going with this. You are absolutely not a fraud. Oh, thank at you. At any point. Thank you so I don't much. Know. If there's any, I always, we need we need to be kinder to each other. We need to be able to validate each other because Lord knows no one else fucking well. Yeah. But I feel like especially folks with ideas um, bisexual, they get a lot of shit storm their way with all the tropes about bi folks. Like that's a lot of, I would make a raspberry, but I don't want to accidentally French kiss the mic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> we haven't had that conversation. Um, but no, there are plenty and so many people who also have that kind of similar story mm -hmm. and it's you're not alone in experiencing that and also not alone in the imposter syndrome right that motherfucker pops up everywhere everywhere career mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. like personal professional oh yeah a hundred percent the mm -hmm. whole oh I, I hate imposter syndrome so much um you uh so you were a grad assistant and so you had kids come to you right you had students that would have questions for you Oh, yeah, all the time. Were there any that, like, kind of surprised you that, like, you were like, oh, I don't know what to tell you or I never thought of that when I was your age? There were certainly things that were surprising. Yeah. Um, the questions themselves were not the surprising part. It's where the conversations went and the context around them. Interesting. If okay. that makes sense. Yeah, like, no, totally. And I think what's something what's so cool about college students and the students that I worked with is these folks, th these adults are so innovative and engaged with their own experience so they have their own networks outside of college they come in with these skills already developed and already with some understanding either through internet searches that kind of thing i mean there is the every now and then the oh my gosh i may be gay what what do i do like that'll happen um less common up here than it was in georgia where someone would come in and be like oh this is my first time hearing gay in a non-derogatory context Wow. Um, so it's it's very it was very it's very weird going from a southern context to working with students up here at NYU. Um, like as a child, like I guess I think I told you like Gina Bloom was talking when she was on a few episodes ago mm -hmm. that when she was a kid, she mm -hmm. just knew something didn't feel right, but she didn't know what it was. Did you kind of have the same experience like you were just like something's off something's amiss but I don't have like the vocabulary or mm -hmm. like the background or we don't even have like Wikipedia yet to kind of explain things or like scarletteen.com oh there was a pre-Wikipedia oh man I know they're encyclopedias oh no Britannica it was like a CD-ROM that you had to put oh, in oh that get, that brings me back no but growing up I always had a lot of image issues but a lot of that was stemming from being at one point <laughs> the tallest person in my grade. I hit my growth cert very early. I've been 5'3 since like sixth grade. Me too. Hey. Well, I was 5'2, but yeah, I was like one of the ha. tallest. Ha. Wasn't it nice? I felt weird. I also went yeah. to Catholic school and like, so I like developed really quickly too, but like wasn't aware. And I had a nun tell me because our like summer, our summer uniforms were like these weird, like uh, navy blue, like shorts that went to your knees and then a white shirt and a nun uh had to take him to the side and was like you need to start wearing a bra and i was like oh why uh, and she was like i can see your nipples and i was like oh 
cool and I was like 11 like I had no clue like I didn't even know what a bra was yet at that point because mm-hmm. I just I I was a, a kid as long as I could be a kid mm-hmm. which I'm very grateful for that but yeah so that was that was mine I mean, it, and I think a lot of that was also growing up around a bunch of girls who were twee, small things that were much better at makeup and mm-hmm. dolls and this traditional thing of femininity. So I always felt like a giant kind of out of place. And mm-hmm. that even impacts how I move through the world now, even though I am now pretty small, like, and this is evidenced by the fact of <laughs> how many times I crawl through random stacks of produce and other crap in our cooler. Like mm-hmm. I really kind of wedge myself in there and I'm like, huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause you also, if you don't mind me saying you also mm-hmm. have diabetes. So you also have to, <gasps> what? You're like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Type one diabetes. Yeah. Cause you have to be constantly aware of that too, because this, our job is very, very active straight out the gate for like, for you for four hours from five to 9am you're, oh, yeah. you're going, you're moving, you're, shuffling like hundreds of pounds of product like left and right and getting on like but being on testosterone though and working at trader joe's like like i've gotten nice like what i'm flexing for those in the audience um and it's very nice um (laughs) (laughs) got some guns i'm jealous i don't i i haven't gotten any guns yet i just have my like well and it's wild like because that's closer to how my body used to be because i've always played sports i was in that tomboy niche so i've always had muscles but Mm -hmm. like they man it is there was a great motivation for lifting eggs i was like okay i have testosterone in my system it's much easier to put on muscle when you're on testosterone um when you're on t <laughs> I, I keep on i want to make sure that everyone knows what i'm talking about i'm not talking about like sweet tea or something because i'm from the south i could understand if there's context so i was going to ask you when you said tea for the first time i wasn't sure if it was testosterone or something else oh no it's testosterone okay yeah, yeah. And is that, is that all that you, um, you take for the transition? Is that the right uh, way for me? Yeah. Them? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of different ways. All kind of a mini roads to Rome situation. Okay. See, I didn't see, I didn't know that. I thought there was like, if you mm. would like to transition from either like point A to point B, uh, it was like one thing. I mean, if I may expound on a hundred percent, like, yes. Transition, I think as a term might do a little bit of a disservice to mm. what this okay. whole thing is. It's not necessarily a transition going from one side to the other or Mm -hmm. a point A to point B, but more just, I would say it's like switching out lenses in a camera. You still see the same thing in Ah. in essence, but how you see yourself, how you view yourself, how you choose to view yourself, what that looks like is very different. And I think there are plenty of folks who are non-binary or identify outside of the transgender kind of binary which is very much rooted in whiteness and colonialism right Mm -hmm. and what transition looks like for each person is going to be very different and i think there often is no end point medically because the focus is more so on feeling comfortable in your body and feeling present in your body Mm -hmm. at least that's what it's always seemed like to me um if you want to get into like nitty or gritty or things like sometimes people will separate it into social transition and medical transition Mm -hmm. i see this a lot of times in um, workplace documents in terms of whenever there actually is policy they're like when an employee is socially transitioning or medically transitioning um so sometimes they're split up in that way and but there is no requirements in the body department really to be trans or whatever gender you'd like to be besides just being it I think that one of someone I knew back in undergrad 
talked about this because we used to do educational panels. Like we'd go around to classrooms, more or less the teachers didn't want to teach that day and they invited <laughs> us. And we're like, cool, let me tell you about my life. And then you can ask me questions anonymously about, but God and gay. Um, and you're like, yes, God and gay, <laughs> more or less. Um, <laughs> um, but there's more than just the narrative of I changed, like, there's more than the narrative of I was born X and then I became Y. Mm -hmm. And there's also more than the narrative of I was always X. There's an in-between where our understanding of ourselves doesn't necessarily mean we've changed more than it just means we've grown as a person and in our understanding of ourselves and how we relate to each other. Mm -hmm. So there's this pressure to have a cohesive narrative for yourself and to write and to like fit into the social media insta worthy kind of shareable story of what your life is like as a queer person mm -hmm. and that's in no way the case lord knows my shit is messy as fuck and like i didn't have a single one coming out moment it was a very weird meandering conversation <laughs> with my mom because that's just how we work we just it was very interesting and there's a messiness there that i wish people would hold and acknowledge more all of this to say, to go back to the original question, um, when I was younger, even though I had body issues, all that kind of fun shit, um, I very much identified as a woman. I was like, I'm going to be like Violet Baudelaire and I'm going to fight people. And <laughs> <laughs> I alternated between the two. Um, so Hermione Granger and also fight me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And... Now, looking back, it wasn't until maybe late middle school to high school that things got bl blurry, I would say. Mm -hmm. And that's when it's like, I don't have language for what's happening. I don't I don't think I changed. Like, I don't think I went from I was a girl and now I'm a boy. I don't think of it in that kind of clear way. But mm -hmm. I also don't want to degender myself in how I was back then. Yeah. It's just I remember hating myself so much when I was younger and... If anything, I'd love to be the one person who doesn't hate that girl and just lets her be yeah. whatever she wants to be. Um, so I certainly don't want to rewrite my story just to be cleaner. You know? Yeah. Well, it's such a and I don't know where it comes from, but it is such a thing that we I'm like we, protective of her. I'm like I'm like protective of my past yeah. self and who I was before I was this. Yeah, no, totally. Mm -hmm. And that totally makes sense. And we do, we as just like society as a collective need to learn to be okay with not having a point A to point B story. Like you were saying like that, it is messy and gray. And we have like the terms for it. We have like sexually fluid or like this, this is a construct, but we don't seem to be able to take those terms and to practice it when we're like listening in, if that makes sense. Like, cause like even you just yeah. telling me this, I was like, oh wow, I have been just so wrong on my ideas of what uh, the, cause I don't want to use the word transition, just like what someone is going through. Well, language is going to inherently fail us, right? So <laughs> <laughs> just from the get go. You, you yeah. say so bluntly, but so truthfully. <laughs> Like, and I'm not the first to say this and like this. So we're going to, by necessity of we haven't quite figured out telepathy yet. I know there are theories. Don't at me. That's a different podcast. <laughs> um, 
So as long as we acknowledge that language is inherently limiting, I think it's okay to kind of use the language we have access to. So transition sure. is that kind of middle place. I guess I mean more that I didn't even realize how limiting the language was until mm. you pointed it out to me that mm. I was like, oh, yes, this is yes, it's very, very limiting because now I can't even think of another word besides limiting. <laughs> so like there is a lot of um, fetishization, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Got the word. Um, because I am from the South, I can't say a lot of words like breakfast will get me. Breakfast. Retweet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so there is a lot of like people trying to like own your narrative of of a trans person's like bodies and a fetishization of it. But through that, have you experienced anything that like you found joy through that or like any awkward experiences in any way or shape or form? Or are you just like, no? So I am so excited to talk about gender euphoria with y'all and these upness and because ugh, this is something that I fall into so much myself. We so often approach transness from a deficit model because holy shit so many people are struggling and dying and of those primarily trans women of color and trans women of color are also those who are um, most severely and most often fetishized in these ways and then face the very real consequences of that um, I definitely have had very weird experiences <laughs> on gr uh, not gr I don't really use grinder because I wanted to avoid my students and scruff tends towards older um, <gasps> So I'm like, okay, I only want to date older than me, and it's much easier on Scruff than on Grinder, where it's like, we baby, um, not we baby. They're adults in their own right. We're not gonna fuck. Um, <laughs> and like, so it's been this weird spectrum of someone who I've had folks who are just still kind of coming into their queerness and it's like oh I can still hold on to some of my heterosexuality if I fuck a pussy like mm -hmm. and that's kind of fucked up we still had sex grad school <laughs> grad school's really hard guys okay like <laughs> and um Definitely some interesting times at sex parties because it's always dark in sex parties, right? Which, mm -hmm. by the way, is inaccessible as fuck. I have such bad vision. And also, in general, I do. I want to see somebody. No, but, I didn't even think of that. Like, that's just dark. Well, and that's also, I think, really rooted in cis cissexism. Um, cis sexism. I'm going to say it slower because I just put everything together. <laughs> uh, because having this sexy ambiance with um, all dark room that's based on the assumption that everyone has the same genitals and you all know what's going to happen and you all know how you're going to fit together wow. when that's almost never the case like genitals are fucking weird i mean for literally when, everybody like, even when like you you are just like with one partner and you know their genitals like it doesn't always like fit like you're like mm. this doesn't make sense I like that. My mind has just gotten like blown, like just like by that like statement. Like I didn't even like think of that. Like, whoa. <laughs> it's like I just got like high on like learning. Like <laughs> what just happened? I mean, it was still a fun party, but like, yeah, it was way past my bedtime. You know, <laughs> again, with those 5 a.m. shifts, it does not make. No. Oh, man. It I It's hard. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so sex is interesting. We can come back around to like different <laughs> stories and other um, adventures and dalliances. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think of grad school as like, this has been my messy period, you know, where I'm learning about me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I, am, I was so excited to be on this podcast and to talk to you not only about 
you know, sex and fun things and and laughter. And I just genuinely like talking to you. Mm -hmm. So it was it's also nice not to talk when someone's like, where's the cream cheese? And it's like two feet to your right, ma'am, as it's always been. Saw you last week. Um, your days off. This lady came up to me and was like, do you have fruit? <laughs> I was like, I got your fruit right. I'm here. gonna hit you. Like, I'm, like the the produce section is like right fucking here. Like, I was so mad. And we were like in the meat section. So I was like, how the fuck did you miss it? Like, it's the <laughs> first thing. Um. Anyhow, yeah. Like, yeah. it's really hard to actually have conversations when like there's just like customers all around you. Unless you're in the box. Unless you're in the box. Jeff and I go on the wildest fucking tangents. I don't know what people hear on the other side because we'll just go into silly voices too. <laughs> So, like, I'm sure the kids get a hoot. Sometimes when we're back there, we'll make the noises of, like, chickens or cows. Like, we'll cluck and, like, <laughs> and we see, like, a little kid and we're at their eye level crouching down. Like, burr, 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 burr. oh, my God. You either scarred them for life or they're like, oh, that's the chickens are just back there. The that's parents are like, please tell me you know what that sound is. <laughs> um, but, God. Oh, but I was so excited because for me, mm-hmm. um, sex has been a part of... When I, I, I enjoy sex so much and being intimate with folks mm-hmm. because it's one of the few moments where I'm really present in my body mm-hmm. and really happy with my body. And I didn't start having sex until I first started transitioning um, with tea. And there's a lot of different issues that we all have on top of there being nobody to fuck down south. Um, Doesn't help. Well, actually, no, I'm going to take that back because I did actually have some really great sex. But that was after, <laughs> but that was after I started tea. Which also makes you significantly hornier. So the make the stakes are high. Um, <laughs> but for so much of my life, due to body image issues, dysphoria, I never really was present. I was very much a space cadet, right? Mm-hmm. A kid with uh, their head in the clouds, all of that. And then after I got language around transness and gender, suddenly my gender dysphoria is so much more acute because I can name that hurt. And I can see the way that hurt is around and how that feels and almost gets deeper. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't been until for the longest time I didn't want to have sex because I didn't want to be there for it. I didn't find myself sexy. Like the thought of someone else, I'm like, yeah, 10 out of 10, good Amazon review. Um, (laughs) But then I'm like, oh, wait, I also have to be there for sex to happen. And it's like, oh, like that, that part completely destroys the experience, did destroy any desire to partake in that. It's very important to contextualize that my sexual debut, as it were, was with two very close friends of mine who held me in that and were so supportive. And we went to Waffle House afterwards. So it's this really precious moment to me. And it's I'm really lucky that I got to start off like, I'm glad I didn't have sex earlier because I felt ready when I did. Yeah. And that was awesome. And also, yes, you did hear right. My first sexual debut was a threesome. It was I great. know. I was going to say, like, <laughs> that's impressive. Yo, I love threesomes. I think they get a bad rap. But, like, listen, with threesomes, you can tap in, tap out. Like, yeah. so much less pressure. Really. I think the bad rep has got to come from the straight from straight people and monogamy <laughs> and jealousy. And mm-hmm. I think, like... Like, even, like, in a poly relationship, like, from what I've been told, like, there's still jealousy a part of it. And, like, jealousy is, like, a natural emotion to feel. Mm -hmm. And when you communicate it well, it can even make, like, your relationship stronger. So Mm -hmm. I think there's just – threesomes, there's just, like, a lot of fear behind it. But, again, in a place like New York or when you're with very – like, you're in a situation where you're very comfortable and it's very safe, it's so easy to – 
have one and to be well, in one. Well, and I think this is something that is also so great about being trans and being in this body. Um, because again, we don't have a chance to talk a lot about the euphoria we feel and how much we like about this because we're so often having to advocate for ourselves mm -hmm. and try to beg people to see us as human. So, and the quickest way through that, or at least the most set. So we end up using ourselves as tools for activism mm -hmm. and we don't, and we treat ourselves like tools and we treat our stories like tools, but there's a lot of joy to be had. I am very much T for T, trans for trans. I love having sex with other trans folks because the communication, the place where we're coming in from is just so different to when I'm hooking up with the cis guy because these conversations are, they feel almost second nature. Like I don't, I don't have sex until we talk about what we call our body parts. What are you okay with? What kind of mm -hmm. before care, after care? And like, this isn't exclusive to kinky sex, like just any sex of like, hey, I want you to know that I still value you as a friend, even if we don't have sex today, um, even if we don't. Um, we're already used to and practiced at navigating gender and how mm -hmm. fucked up gender is mm -hmm. that in relation at least for me like yeah okay let's talk about sex like by this is a trigger for me this is something that i'm not cool with and it's like yeah no i hear that let's party does that well one that sounds amazing like the most um, like i've never heard like that much communication happening before sex now don't go me don't get me wrong there are definitely like fuck fuck people well I'm trying to think of a gender neutral term for fuck boys, but <laughs> like there, there are definitely folks who are like super constipated in the communication department. Don't get me wrong. But uh -huh. like when I think about the joyful experiences I've had with other trans folks in sex, in intimacy, it has been in spaces of open communication, transparency, dialogue, and the rejection of the narrative of sex, which you th sex doesn't have a narrative. It does where this you have a linear line to climax and then it's pillow talk and done where it could really be just this extended period of intimacy mm -hmm. where what sexual activities at what intensity at what time is all very fluid and organic to that moment and it takes so much pressure off of folks to perform or for their bodies to react in a certain way because bodies are fucking weird mm -hmm. um i don't know how many uh cis men i've had sex with well, one, I don't know how many cis men I've had sex with. Um, <laughs> uh, but also, well, they're almost, they will psych themselves out. Like they'll, they won't get hard or they'll get soft. And then they're feeling really self-conscious about it. And they're apologizing to me about it. And then I feel their self-consciousness and their kind of like nervousness and masculinity because I'm very empathetic. Mm -hmm. So then I feel bad for them, but I don't want them to see that I'm feeling bad for them. So it's this positive feedback loop when it's like, you, we can spoon for a little while. Like we can make out. There is more than just this main event of sex. Yeah. And that's something I learned recently too. And as a, that's a very, very straight thing to think that like it is just like this you you make out you fuck one one both or none come like that there's like this there is this climax there mm. is this hard ending when really <laughs> great <Hard>. sex isn't. <laughs> it could really flow. <laughs> I, I do want to know, and this would probably be such an ignorant question. Does it take any of the spontaneity out of sex when you have these conversations beforehand? When you're like, what, how do you like to, like, what would you like this to be mm -hmm. called? Like, mm -hmm. what are, what's triggering, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Does that at any, like, 
is it still very spontaneous? Like how is like, for some reason in my mind, I see it as like a checklist, like, okay, you're mm-hmm. good. This is what you want here. It this- can definitely seem like a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Especially um, for me. No, I think it allows spontaneity. Mm-hmm. I think it allows creativity and inspiration within a safe and open place mm-hmm. and not safe as is not safe as in we can't get hurt, right? Because we can harm each other even unintentionally, but in a place of this allows us to try new things and to push into some different dynamics. What I love about entering sex from that mind work is you can say, hey, I'm feeling overwhelmed by trying to make sure I don't hurt you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that is, we can name that and we can hold that and we can explore that, right? Grace can be given and given and received in all sorts of different ways. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is different for every person, every person's relationship with their body, with uh, their relationship structure. All of this is different. So there's there's plenty of folks who believe the exact opposite. Well, not the exact opposite, because that also implies a binary, but they believe very differently than me and mm-hmm. would disagree. But for me, I see it as a place where you can name what has previously felt unnameable, including things where we feel like we're coming up short Mm -hmm. and be allowed to be imperfect and messy because we are messy. Yeah. And we will always be messy. (laughs) So and I think it just makes it so much easier to have conversations of. Nah, I actually don't want to do X tonight. This this kind of sex act, you know, yeah, I actually would rather not. I don't know, like. It's really great. I hope everyone gets a chance to have sex where you can just know that you are in complete control of your own boundaries and what that looks like and that you're really present. I I feel present with someone when I'm in that kind of space. And that's what I love about sex. And I feel present in my body and I'm enjoying my body. And it is so convenient to have a hole that self-lubricates, just saying. And like- That helps a lot. (laughs) I really do like being a trans guy. Like, honestly, like- (laughs) This is so weird being tacked onto the back of a very like hmm, stern sentence, but just real talk. I can go to town on pasta and bottom in the same night and it is amazing. Oh my God. It is just spectacular. Like I don't, uh, I don't really do a lot of anal stuff mostly because I eat whatever the fuck I want and I have a perfectly accessible hole right upstairs. Uh-huh. <laughs> I hope you just learned as much as I fucking did. Thank you again, Stevie, for coming. And again, review at gmail.com. And I'll be out hopefully in the summer, if not fall or winter. But you'll have it soon. <laughs>